Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from Clyde Hill Publishing, partner and publisher for founders, innovators, thinkers, and tinkerers. Clyde Hill works with non-traditional authors to help bring their ideas and lessons to life. To learn more about Clyde Hill's services and books, like their newest title, Facing Death, Finding Dignity, Hope, and Healing at the End, visit ClydeHillPublishing.com or Clyde Hill Pub on Twitter. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Tiffany Parks. Hello, and welcome to The Bittersweet Life. I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. So today I thought I would fill you guys in, those of you who are not in Italy, on what's going on here in the COVID situation here in Italy. Um, You may have heard that we are now fully in a second wave, and a pretty dramatic second wave at that. Our wave looks totally different from what's going on in the United States. If you look at just physically look at the wave of cases in the U.S., it kind of looks like steps, like you had the first wave in the spring, and it never really went down, and then you had a second higher wave in the summer, and it never really went down, and now there's an even higher wave right now. And that's just really devastating to see that the U.S. was never able to get the curve all the way down to the bottom. Italy is totally different, though. Italy had, you know, a pretty sizable wave. Seemed massive for us at the time uh, because, of course, we had nothing to compare it to. And Italy was also the first hit country outside of Asia. And so, you know, the numbers seemed catastrophic back then. And they were catastrophic, particularly the mortality rate but with some extremely severe restrictions, the most restrictive rules in all of the world, Italy was able to get our numbers down, all the way down to virtually nothing, you know, between 100 and 200 cases per day for months at a time all through the summer. And Italy was really proud of that, justifiably so. Italy is famous for being, you know, kind of a disorganized country, a country that Uh, The people don't really respect rules. And I think that Italians really surprised the world and surprised themselves at how they were willing to sort of go all in and do whatever they could to defeat this virus. And people took it really seriously and people stayed home. And I mean, of course, part of the reason was because it was the law. We didn't really have a choice. There were, of course, people who didn't agree with the the severity of the restrictions. But I think for the most part, it wasn't a politicized issue and people really stood together and there was a lot of solidarity in the country through that. And the upside of that was that, you know, we really got that first wave under control. But the downside is looking at it, of course, with hindsight now from the peak, what I hope is the peak of our second wave, is that people really let their guard down. All of us. I'm not even myself. I remember I mentioned in one of the first episodes I did after Italy opened back up in May was that I mentioned to Katie, I said, it it feels like nothing happened. It feels like it just didn't happen. With the exception of people wearing masks inside restaurants and shops, that was the rule at the time. You had to wear a mask inside a restaurant 
or a shop or if you were in a crowded place and you couldn't distance, you couldn't socially distance. That was the rule back in May, June, July into August. So with the exception of wearing masks indoors and, you know, people washing their hands more and using gel and trying to stay, you know, distanced from one another as much as possible, it didn't seem like anything else had really changed. It felt like life came back to normal really fast. Um, But despite that, the numbers stayed low. And I think we all kind of were lulled into this false sense of, we did it. We beat this thing. It's over. And although the experts told us there would be a second wave in the fall, and I think intellectually, most of us understood that that was a big possibility. I think we kind of thought, well, it won't be that bad. It can't be as bad as what we went through in March. It definitely won't be that bad. And that continued to play out into the fall when schools started to reopen. Now, they were very careful with the reopening of schools. I did a mini episode on that. And they continued to be very careful. They also upped the mask mandate. So in late August, it was suddenly you had to wear a mask even outside between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. And then in mid-September, they upped that even further and said 24 hours a day, you must wear a mask if you are anywhere besides your own home or your own car. But everything else was going on much the same. People were going to parties. I was invited to several children's parties. Uh, I didn't go to any of them. I didn't think it was a good idea. A discotheques were even open for a while in the summer, and they quickly decided that that was a bad idea, and they closed those again. But it seemed like, at least outside, people were not at all observing social distancing rules. So many young people were just packed together in piazzas, and even, you know, non-young people, just people in general. I don't know if people were just fed up with it or they thought, like I said, we're going to be fine. In September, lots of other countries around Europe started to see a major uptick, particularly France, Spain, the UK, and Germany started to see more and more cases. And it was clear that a second wave was happening for them. In Italy, it didn't look like that. The numbers stayed relatively low all throughout the first two weeks of school, I, for one, will admit that I thought, oh, it looks like, you know, Italy might get out of this unscathed. Maybe we won't have this big second wave that these other countries are experiencing because our numbers had ticked up only by a couple of hundred people a day from maybe one, 200 people a day to five, 600 people a day, as opposed to the thousands and tens of thousands that we were seeing as far as new cases in other countries. But unfortunately, that was not the case. We were quickly disabused of this idea that Italy was going to escape unscathed. In fact, I even read some articles on this. What Italy is doing right? Why Italy is not suffering from a second wave? I saw those articles out there. But that didn't last, unfortunately. And we are now in a massive second wave. To give you a little bit of perspective, during Italy's first wave back in the spring, Our worst ever day of new contagions was on March 21st, 6,554 new cases. That was the very, very worst day. And then it started to slowly go down. Well, our worst day just a couple of days ago was 40,000 new cases a day, from 6,000 to 40,000 new cases a day for a country that only has 60 million people in it. You know, so you have to consider that when you're saying, oh, that doesn't sound as bad as the case numbers in the U.S., well... The U.S. has 330 million people, and Italy has only 60 million. So um, this wave, if you look at it on a graph, it literally shrunk the first wave. The first wave looks like a tiny little hill, and the second wave looks like an impossible vertical mountain. It's a little bit scary. It's scary also to see now, just in the past week or so, the death numbers are rising as well. 
The death numbers stayed low during sort of the first maybe month of this second wave. But now they're getting up to almost the height that they were back in the spring. So our worst day as far as deaths in the first wave was April 3rd. 921 people died that day. And uh, just yesterday, we had 731 people die, which was the highest, was the worst day in the second wave. So it's scary. We've got lots of new restrictions going on in Italy. We've got the different zones. So instead of having an entire national lockdown, right now we have zone, you know, the red zone, the yellow zone, and the orange zone. There's a lot of regions in the red zone. The red zones include Tuscany, Campania, where Naples is, some of the northern regions, including including Piemonte and Lombardia, where Milan is, and the southern, the most southern regions as well, uh, like Calabria. These are places that were not hit very badly in the first wave. And they are also poorer parts of the country where they do not have the kind of resources, not just in terms of contact tracing and testing, but also in terms of you know hospitalization and staff that the northern regions have. So I don't want to make any projections, but it could be worse. It could, you know, even in terms of deaths, end up being worse than the first wave, which is not what any of us want to see. So now we have these different restrictions. And the red zone restrictions are basically like our lockdown, our full lockdown was in the spring. So you can't go out of your house unless it's to go to the supermarket, the pharmacy, to go to work if you have an essential job, to go to the hospital, or you can take a very, very short, quick run around your block. That's it. So the same the same rules, you have to have the autocertificazione, the form that you fill out and sign saying what you're doing, and you can be stopped by the police. So that's what's going on in those red regions that I just mentioned. Then we have the orange regions, which, you know, has slightly less restrictions. You can go out. You have freedom of movement within your city. You can't leave your city, but you can be in your city anywhere you want. But of course, there's nothing to do because the restaurants are all closed. Uh, Shops are mostly closed. Of course, you can't go to any museums or concerts or anything like that. And you can't uh, meet up with anyone. We here in, in Lazio, where Rome is, we are in the yellow zone. And I'm very grateful for that. I also feel like any day we could jump orange altogether and go straight to red. So we're all kind of living with that expectation constantly as we go into the holiday season. But our restrictions as of now are really not that bad. We can go to restaurants. They close at 6 p.m. We can be as many as four people in a restaurant. They say they're keeping the capacity low, but I don't know how strictly they follow that. Concerts are, of course, closed. Theaters are closed. All museums and exhibits are closed and shopping malls are closed on the weekends to avoid lots of people, but they are open during the week and all other shops are open. You know, it's not terrible. I feel very lucky that I have a certain amount of freedom in Rome, but I, like I said, I don't know that it will last. And I feel like there's two types of people in the city right now. People who are staying home, being really careful because they're scared of the illness but also because they don't want, you know, they don't want things to get worse and then be put on full lockdown. And then there are the people who are like, carpe diem, I have got to go out and have fun while I still can. It seems like that's the majority of people, to be honest. And a few times that I've been into the center recently, I feel like restaurants and bars are just packed. Of course, they close at 6 p.m., but brunch and lunch has become the thing to do here uh, lately. It seems like 
despite these numbers that we're seeing, a lot of people in the city at least are acting like nothing has changed. And I think that's that's a little bit unfortunate, but you know, I'm not going to judge because I too have been out for a cup of tea a couple of times in the past month. So I get how hard it is and none of us is looking forward to the seemingly inevitable lockdown that we're facing. It's kind of one of those situations where it's easy to judge, but it's uh, it's also very easy to uh, lose resolve and want to go out as well. It's probably a good thing that I'm not living in the center of town right now, or I would probably be one of those people having <laughs> brunch every single day with a different group of friends. But anyway, I just wanted to fill you in on the situation in Rome and uh, give you also a kind of idea of the national mentality, what's going on here. It's really, I feel, and I mean, I can't speak for the whole country, of course, or even the whole region where I am or the whole city where I am. But just from what I see, it really feels like people are not as terrified as they were back in March. The solidarity, uh, the country coming together, the sort of like, we're going to do this, we're going to make these sacrifices to save our country, to save our older people, to save our health compromised people. I just don't feel that sentiment quite so strongly. And it could be just fatigue, just people, I can't do it anymore. Or it could be simply that because the rules aren't as strict, people feel like they don't have to be as careful. So who knows? I'm not going to presume to know what's going through people's minds, but just reporting on what I see from here. Hope you are all staying safe wherever you are in the world. Hope you enjoyed this bittersweet moment. Join us again. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you love it, leave us a good review and tell all of your friends about us. Also, if you have an idea for a bittersweet moment, send it to us by email or voice memo. We're at bittersweetlife at mail.com or find us using the contact page at thebittersweetlife.net. Thanks to Clyde Hill Publishing for supporting this program. Find inspiring and thought-provoking nonfiction with a focus on founders, innovators, thinkers, and tinkerers at ClydeHillPublishing.com or Clyde Hill Pub on Twitter. <laughs>